done within like a half a mile. But this is a good start. So, how's it going? Hello, sir. Claymation. <laughs> how are you, dude? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you? Welcome to the Price Is Right. Uh, today we're yeah. welcoming. Uh, this is not funny. Bob Barker just died last week, bro. Dude, that dude literally had the best life. He made it to ninety nine without going over a dollar. So did Betty White, by the way. They that neither awesome. one of them made made it to triple digits. But they made it right up to the dollar. You can't go in if you go over a dollar, you're screwed. You lose. <laughs> so he did it ninety nine. Uh, we, we Nobody will over you. Soon. Are you still there? Way too soon. <laughs> He's there. I just heard him. So what's up, buddy? I'm just. Uh just doing some some work. I just counted out a bunch of brass. Got uh, a customer coming by to buy a bunch of once fired stuff. And other than that, I'm just prepping stuff for uh, for clients. Just nice. like one, two, three, four. You just weight counted, I'm assuming. Um, actually, uh, the Hornady uh, A tip boxes they mm. pretty much perfectly fit 250 pieces of dasher so I just nice. fill it up times however many that they want and then I always throw in an extra hand for so to make sure I cover myself that sounds like what Lapua does because every time I get a box from Lapua it's 101 pieces like they're nervous to be under 100 they always have an extra one I, I should have saved it. it's kind of like getting a Reese's with extra wrappers um, I got one box that had 103 in it uh, I thought that was a special one Use those two or three for your kneeler and burn them down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so <they're the> spares. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, for those listening, uh, we're talking to Clay Blacketer. Obviously, he usually needs no introduction, but for those who may need an introduction, uh, Clay is an incredible shooter, one of the world's best. Uh, he's been doing this for quite a while, and we wanted to have him on the podcast now for a while. And this is, I think this will be a really good talk because we can cover so much about honestly a lot of different things from your positions as a match director and the matches you run in uh in in the oki states uh as well as business owner making ammo being a competitor and what you've done and also being a trainer jtac and just being a generally cool dude in a world champion in a world champ (laughs) uh, yep one of the fab five slash six that went overseas and and did some awesome work so at least there were a lot more than that but for the men's open team yep that was one of the most fun things I've ever gotten to do. That's um, cool. Very, very cool to be part of that. Yeah, so we don't, everybody, we assume everybody knows our guests when we have them on, but uh, we'll get, we want to have you like talk a little bit about yourself and how long you've been shooting. And and uh, we obviously know you have won a golden bullet. So mm-hmm. we want to hear a little bit about how you got there. And we might interject and, and uh, ask questions along the way and circle back, but um, it doesn't need to be that like, 30 minute boring thing but I want to dig into like what got you into shooting and how you how you became the clayback blackheader that you are today Um, I've heard some podcasts where you talk about your origin story a little bit so um, somebody might have heard that so if you if you can come up with something that might be a little slightly different and reach out in the same bullet points that you talked about in those that'd be cool well I'll try to at least give you the spark notes version Um, I just I, I needed an outlet after I got hurt playing baseball and couldn't do it anymore. Um, and uh, what position? Didn't uh, played outfield and I pitched. That makes sense. We're gonna um, race sometime. And I blew. Okay. Up. Do what? We're gonna race sometime. We're gonna see who can get from center uh, field to the corner. <laughs> as long as um, you give me about an eight second head start, I'm up for that. <laughs> okay. Um, so. 
but uh, um, I didn't know that I needed an outlet, but apparently I did. I was always very competitive, and um, a buddy invited me to the range once upon a time, and um, Justin had just started his range and said I should come shoot, and I bought an RPR and had some scope or another. I don't really know what it was, and I went and got dead last and was instantly hooked. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate in where I live. Uh, Oklahoma's filled with, you know, a lot of really good shooters. Um, and our our club matches were always full with, you know, the Oregons and, the, you know, Justin Watts, Tate Streeter, uh, Wade Studeville, Rick Reeves, Justin Charman, like a lot of guys that have won, you know, two-day matches. Uh, and those were our one days every weekend. So it was kind of uh, sink or swim whenever yeah. you show up to a match. And uh, That was the best case scenario. I, I yeah, it really was, and they're all very willing to help. They're always, I mean, and they still are. I mean, I, Rick Reeves was one of the biggest influences on me and just teaching me how to uh, reload. I really didn't know anything, and he invited me to his house and showed me um, how to do stuff. And um, So is he a know, silent partner in place cartridge company? <laughs> um, <laughs> I better not say that or he's going to start to knock on my door with his hands out. Um, but uh, he's got plenty of my money. He used to show up to every club match and uh, collect his rent check every month. Um, and my money was always part of that. So Nice. Um, but uh, whenever I did get a custom rifle, I sold that RPR right away. And I, I went all the way to the top the first time around. Uh, my build has changed a little bit. But, you know, my first, you know, real up rifle had an impact action on it. Um, I got one of the very first ones. Um, I was in the... Number fifty-six was uh, what that serial number was. Um, nice. They were they were brand brand new, and uh, I just kind of took it and ran with it. Um, went went every weekend and got my butt kicked and and worked until I got it kicked a little bit less. You're probably still running number fifty-six. Um, it's kind of a sore subject. Um, oh, I'm no. not. I uh, I didn't. I there was a time where I didn't know how to change a barrel and. Uh, somebody that was working for my gunsmith not to out anybody um didn't quite have the uh action wrench in all the way and broke one of the anti-bind rails and so um it was it was swapped and um anyway long story short i've been trying to get it back and haven't been able to get it back um and because i you know that was you know that was the original one that was the one i started with and i'd like to have it back but i haven't uh I haven't been able to get it done just yet. That's like your Kuyu Verde 1.0 pants that you wear all the time. Like, <laughs> you got to have those. Yeah. Like, that's mojo. I mean, I think you could I mean, pull well, up a pro-level move and just omit all the guide rails, and you just have to be absolutely perfect on your forward stroke, so there's no there's no bind rails, there's no guide rails. You just have to do it all yourself. I'm not sure if I could pull that off. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, those, those Kuyu pants, I mean, they've got more holes in them than they have material covering my body anymore yeah it's extra mm-hmm. vent it's extra airflow great for oklahoma absolutely fantastic for oklahoma not the best in the winter time Mm-mm. Mm-mm. well that's cool i didn't realize when was that what year was that when you started then like 2017 18 19 so my very first one day match that one you know when i didn't know a single thing didn't even have dope for a rifle um was 2016 and then i didn't shoot another one until um, I got my rifle and I shot rifles only in February of 2017. So that was so 17. You know, I would yeah. say 17 because I mean a year, and I know that feeling as well. So I can relate to that. It was uh, yeah. I mean we always want to ask that for guests because I think a lot of people see some of the people at the top, and if you just started this sport, you kind of assume like either a they've always been doing that, or b that they didn't start somewhere like say they like they are or our listeners are. We all did. 
and whether or not it, you know, some of us get a faster head start than others just because of the people we're around or how we choose to progress in the sport. But for the most part, we all start with very little experience, specifically in PRS, um, and sometimes with shooting in general, and then have to work our way forward. So. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there were a million times along the way where I was like, oh, I've got this figured out, and then I would go <laughs> shoot a club match, and I would get absolutely trounced. That's the Dunning-Kruger um, effect. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I still remember what before we had the good bags that we have now, I was shooting a, a club match with, uh, and I was in Austin's, Austin Oregon squad, and uh, there was this barricade, and it was before, again, before the bags, and he used to have, like, this bungee cord belt thing that he would attach to him and then attach to the barricade, and he would just pull back as hard as he could, and he's just wearing out this, you know, Pierce barricade target, and I get on it, and I can't hold minute of hillside. I, I don't think that I shot within five feet of that target, and I was trying. I was really trying to hit it, and I just, like, how in the world did somebody hit these targets? It was just mind-blowing to me, and, so you know, now when you look at the Pierce barricade, you know, it's more the opposite side of things. Most people look at it as, you know, what do I do to miss this? Yeah, um, yeah and we yeah. still do once in a while, which is unfortunate and frustrating and makes me want to, yeah, question life. So you said you got you, you got last place on your first match, but you were hooked. That statement is very curious to me. Like, what what hooked you about it? Why, why did you want to come back? Uh, it was just fun. Yeah. Um, it, it was fun and it was competition and... It wasn't something that I needed my shoulders for, which was a bonus. And I'd always liked shooting, but I didn't really do it a whole lot. And I mean, it was just getting to shoot for competition. It was just, it was very, very fun. And, um, you know, it was, uh, there wasn't, there weren't really squads at that match. I was just, I didn't, didn't know a single person out there. And, um, my bag was a, uh, a divider inside a pistol range bag that I stuffed a t-shirt into. That's what I was using for, for a bag hmm. and uh you know what <laughs> you're gonna say jan sport ju- <laughs> 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 um, i'm bringing match, you into the next yeah. match i'm gonna find a brand new jan sport <laughs> <Yeah>. just for you <laughs> the purple jan you know, sport. I, i've still i've still got that in here i should bring it to the next match you should you know, have a t-shirt in there and, so you, you know, said your, on check-in day. your first action was serial 56 or something around that yep. what was the first caliber yep. six five forty seven something like that that's exactly what it yeah. was yeah do you so people uh, there's a trend moving back towards the six fives have you been experimenting with that again lately or not um i shot a six five almost exclusively from last july-ish until um i don't know may may of this year so almost a, a year shooting a six five mm-hmm. um you know you get those those big bullets with the big bc it's just you don't really have to run very fast, and they they hold up so well in the wind. But plus, you get a few more edge um, hits because you got like another half I don't know ten thousand per side. Yeah, I, I mean it. It definitely feels like I get you know more edge hits shooting that six five. <laughs> I mean, there's no no doubt about it. I've heard you, Morgan I get, come off the know, barricade or something multiple times saying, "Man, if that was a six mil, I would have missed." <laughs> Dude, so we were at yeah. the finale. Do you I, you probably remember this, Clay? When it was the rock stage off at what last year's finale, and Morgan comes off, and I'm like, bang, hits edge, and then next a couple rounds hit center, and then bang, hits an edge. And I mean, the target's barely moving, and he clipped it. And I, I don't know if you were running a six at that time or if you were in a six five, but you had one as well that clipped an edge, and then the next one I think you thought went higher left or hanger, I'm not sure what. But we had four, like four individuals that hit edges that barely rocked the plate, and. Uh, yeah, I remember that vividly. And then MKM was no different. We had multiple 
near misses that turn into hits, and I think most of you are running six mils. What the hell were you shooting at MKM when you destroyed us a few weeks ago? Yeah, that's a good Uh, question. I was shooting a BRA. I went went back old school, back to a a BRA. I see. Who loaded your ammo? Um, Some goober. Some (laughs) absolute goober. Tell us about the ammo thing, like how you got into the ammo and... And are you tired of making ammo? And <laughs> yeah. um, I was actually uh, in Wade Studeville's shop, and um, I was trying to figure out a way to, to get into the industry. And um, I I was very picky when I started, you know, loading. I didn't know what mattered, what didn't, so I tried to be perfect about everything. And, you know, I thought that a scale that went to two digits wasn't good enough, so I bought an O-house from a school auction that went to three digits. And... I was like, oh, this is going to be the difference maker. And then you can't even, you know, hardly use the thing because if you breathe within yeah. three miles, the scale shakes and it stops dispensing powder. And it was, it was a pain. Um, and, uh, but anyway, I was um, at Wade's and it was really his idea. And uh, the idea originally was to have everything automated. And that is absolutely not how any of it works. Um, you know, I, I see every single bullet single stage on either a Forrester coax or a, uh, a 419.0 press and um so there's definitely no automation but um i i you know just started loading you know for a buddy in a pinch here and there and uh then started the started the business and you know you've got again very fortunate to live where i live and have the friends that i've had um tate was willing to jump on board right away and he started shooting at creedmoor because that's all I was offering when I first started with Screedmore, and Justin is all almost always only shot a Creedmore, so I had two, you know, top shooters right away running it, which is just you know good exposure, and um, they're both the kind of guys that you know even though I'm willing to help them, they wanted to pay for for everything, so um, they were very helpful in helping me helping me get going, and um, then when the GT came out, George Gardner helped me more than you know anybody should ever ever get help. He was a gigantic help in getting you know me going with that obviously he's one of the developers behind that cartridge but that is by far my my number one seller um yeah because until they started coming out with the hornet a109 factory ammo there was no other option and it's been a pretty popular cartridge for a while but i mean that was right about the time you started clay's cartridge company is when you won the golden bullet and uh that had to springboard that a little bit i would think same year yeah. yeah um later on that that same year and um that was you know that helped me get some some contracts with military just from the exposure from that and then um right or wrong if you do well in matches people look to your gear and what you're using um a lot of times and um you know that that was definitely a big boost and and people who you know, called me and either wanted something custom done or just wanted to be you know running where i loaded so yeah um, i'll have a similar kind effect of a these days storm <laughs> which i love it do what i have a similar effect these days with the the gunsmithing and stuff like that yeah. it's it's uh it's kind of nice they, they they at least trust you because they know like what you're doing works so it's it's a no risk scenario it may cost a few more bucks but it's worth it because then they don't have to worry about it you know they know it's it's not the equipment I'm I'm with you there. Um, yep. It's you know it takes that outside out of mind, and you can just focus on on hitting targets. Yeah. So speaking of hitting targets, you've done a lot of that. Uh, on top of hitting targets, you've also hit a lot of T posts down into the ground <laughs> to uh, put together matches. Uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about Clay the MD because 
I've got to say, and I want to preface this for people who haven't listened, I don't know if we did a... Uh, I don't think we did an episode directly on it, uh, at least not in my recap, because I was coming back from it. Yeah, we talked but, about it in passing, because you yeah. were at Clay's match, and I went out to the Idaho match, so we had yep. like different uh, different experiences, yep. we'll just say. And I was sick that weekend. I shot really well, but was dogging it, because it was just, I was sick all weekend, um, so I was trying to avoid people. But uh, to recap that, it was, and still is, one of the top three best matches that I have ever shot. And I don't mean that in how I shot. I mean that in terms of the layout of the match, the thought behind it, the target sizes, the locations, the challenge. It was extraordinary. I mean, extremely good food too. It was super cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) It was very good. Um, I know your family always seems to bring in some awesome food and they do some brisket and some other cool stuff every time. It was, I love it when it's a family affair. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about that. How did you decide Hey, let's go run a match. They're they're super easy to do. <laughs> yeah. um, we were at uh, Tate and I were at Hornady the first year that uh, that the PRC was out there, and Shannon Kay was in uh, the squad in front of us, and uh, it's day two, and we're we're on the bottom side, and um, I, I don't even know how the conversation started, but he started talking to Shannon about hosting a match, and um, he said something about you know Clay would be my you know co MD and. In my head, I'm like, is he just talking? Like, what's what's happening here? I just like he completely caught me off guard. And uh, you know, when that conversation ended and he walked off, I was like, Tate, were you being serious? Like, did you want to be the MD with you, or were you just like trying to like you know say so that you had somebody? He's like, no, I was serious. Um, and uh, so we hosted. Uh, we decided to do it at, at my place. I don't remember all the reasons why. And I say my place; it's it's my parents' property, and uh, they run cattle out there. It's you know, it's their farm, is what it is, and they just let me use it as a as a rifle range for for training and for matches and um you know at to that point i had never hosted even a one day and we put a lot of thought into it and there were a lot of props we put out that you know we thought that we would really shoot if it if it came came down to it and um i still feel bad to this day there was three targets at like 650 ish somewhere in there and they were they were pretty big targets they were like 16 17 18 inches you know why they were like you know pretty pretty hittable targets and uh we're shooting off of this um you know like grain trailer and i had shot it off that when it was like blowing 10 to 15 miles an hour and i was like oh this is you know great and you had to you know alternate sides you basically made it a modified prone and you could choose to shoot it you know offhand depending on which side you're on or just kind of lean further over and when the match happened the wind was blowing 25 and people could not hold like hardly on the hillside because that little you know, trailer was was moving so bad yeah, what grade. i thought was going to be one of the one of the easiest stages ended up being one of the hardest ones and um you know once we once we got the first one under you know looking at matches that i really enjoyed and tried to figure out what i liked from those and so i started incorporating you know different stages from from across the nation um you probably noticed this year the barricade um Yep. There were two sets of targets on the left and right side of the range, and then you finished on a middle one. Yep. That's my little ode to Wisconsin. We did that off of a fire truck um, out yes, there, and I thought did. it was a really cool concept for a stage. And um, and the more and more um, I started doing that, the more I started to you know see stuff that at my match I thought was kind of you know uneven. You know, one example is I used to have a, a hit to move on stage and. Morgan King, who's obviously one of the best shooters to ever play the game, um, didn't. I don't think he got past target one, and um, and that wasn't fair because he didn't ever get to take a shot at target two, three, four, or five. Which, you know, 
were a little bit bigger targets at the time, and he probably would have hit them. So instead of getting a, you know, missing a couple shots on the first one, and then getting you know a seven or an eight to finish the stage, he ends up with you know a one or a two. And um, part of that was should have shot targets better. went straight. <laughs> <laughs> like I should have shot better on that it. rooftop. You, yeah, at, you, at MKM. You said it, not me. That was terrible. <laughs> um, and. And, you know, so I, I took that hit to move on stages. And then I was like, okay, now I've got my map set to where, you know, it's completely fair. And then the next year, you know, there was more targets going out down that wheat field. And you're shooting straight into it, a headwind or a tailwind, depending on the day. And then I got to see people go left, right, left, right. And I was like, okay, I need to fix something about this. So then I tried to take out everything I could that would be shot into a, a headwind. Yep. And, um, and try to put as much as I could into a into a crosswind. There was one stage that did not make the cut. It was the tires, um, and then I I tried to. My goal was to make it as, as even as possible. I made you know target sizes, you know the same width in mills. Um, I made every third stage a long range stage, so you'd have to shoot one in the early, middle, and late part of the day to try and yep. take the draw out of it, and then alternated positional versus prone, so you have the same number of of shots. You know each way so um i obviously didn't get to shoot it in those conditions the conditions were miserable and i would love to have had that match two weeks later um when the grass had grown in and the dust was gone but um i you know unfortunately i couldn't control the weather the wind was was pretty crazy but I mean, the whole idea the fun, behind it was that's, that's kind of the fun part the difficult part the rewarding part and the thankless part of being a match director is like you have to think about all those things that people don't get to experience or think about and i think that that is what separates a great match director and i feel like we're fortunate in the day and age time that we're shooting prs right now is there's a lot of match directors thinking like you but i think you're definitely on the the cusp of being one of the best to think about the match because you've performed at the highest level possible and uh not a lot of other people can say that that's i think it's commendable it's respectable it is um really really cool to have somebody like you willing to put on matches because you know i just don't i don't know i don't have it in me to do it <laughs> and i appreciate it so much like i haven't shot your match but i will yeah he shot beamer's punisher this year so it was i'm gonna so, drag him out so to good. your match next year yeah um you know I, you kind of glossed over it but i want to make sure the listeners understood the targets at your match were all the same angular size and i say that not exactly the same but from say 300 to like five or six if i recall they were around four point point four three mils from five or six to like seven or eight they were point four six and then uh at eight and beyond they were point four nine or something close to that um it was very cool because we got to talk about it beforehand and you just mentioned you know not what sizes they were going to be or what any specifics around the stages just that i'm testing this concept because i think this could be really good for our sport. And I'm like, this is actually going to be really cool because I personally wanted to see what it was like to just take the, I'm not going to the target variation out of it for a short term and just test me against big wins and know that at all distances, I have to just continuously account for the win. And my system is not the weak link at this point. It is just my ability to perform in those wind calls in the moment with angle changes, man, I got to thank you again. I mean, I, I know I've said it a bunch when we've hung out at matches, but hats off kudos amazing match can't wait for the next one it was good very good well since you have shot the match um something i talked to ken wheeler about today and i've been tossing this idea around 
Um, I, you're, you're right. I do want, you know, the match to be as fair as possible um, so that, you know, the people that finish 1 through 120 finish there based on, you know, their ability, not anything else. Yeah. And um, because of the conditions, and I can't, you know, control that, but, uh, you know, the conditions, but the conditions were tough. Um, something that I was trying to think of to get the best of both worlds where people can hit more targets and still make it as fair as possible. Um, I was contemplating putting a big small on every single target, um, whether it's positional, prone, troop line, whatever, a big small, where the bigger target is in the sixth to seven tenth range, which is, you know, two and a half to two and three quarter uh, MOA, and then the four tenth target still being in the one and a half MOA range and um, still engage both targets, whether you hit or miss. That way, um, you do have. You know some more forgiveness for the newer shooters um and the better guys are going to be able to and, and girls are going to be able to distance themselves by hitting that smaller target yeah i still think so, it has some i think it's a cool concept um i'm going to think on it more because uh what was do you remember what was the average hit percentage for the match i don't remember the the overall total because i was pretty sick and for about a week i was down and out I don't know what the what the average was. I've got pretty much everything else except for what the average score was. Because yeah. um, I'd be curious. I mean, if it was around a 60, like 50 to 60, for Oklahoma, honestly, that 60, 50, 60 would probably be about right, but it seems like 50 might be a tiny bit low. But if it's in that ballpark, I still think it was actually pretty fair. I remember feeling like I was at 70-something percent, 75 or 78 percent of the course of fire, and I thought uh, Austin won it with, like, 87? 81. 80, 81. There 81. you go. Yeah, I remember it yeah. was a pretty big margin, like 10 points, and then everybody stacked up right behind him, but uh, or something close to that. I think this is this should honestly, could honestly lead to a bigger discussion because, I, I like I said, I respect and commend you for for putting on a match of this caliber and how much effort and thought you put into it but I think that there needs to be more similarity between matches I mean you and I both shot Clay and I both shot the first match of the year and uh, it was a little different than Clay's match it was a little different than MKM match and a few other matches um, like I don't, I don't really know where I want to take this but I feel like there needs to be some organization of target sizes and and not that there needs to be a rule change on on target sizes but i think for the growth of the sport the legitimate the legitimacy of the sport and honestly the fairness of the competition like how can you expect to go to a match and not know what you're gonna encounter you know it's 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 tough what do you what do you think clay uh you know it's a hard question to answer um you know, I'm. I, I have a different viewpoint than than some people do, and you know, we did shoot uh, Prentice's match in January, and Prentice has probably the biggest turnout, you know, match after match of, of any match director. So he's obviously doing a ton of things right. Um, people are very happy to be there. They they come back year after year. He's yep. got good food. Um, and Those people, people enjoy it. Um, that was Tate. <laughs> I mean, I know, but Tate brought him there with yeah. John Barry. They cooked him right there. They brought <laughs> oh, yeah. in pots. It was awesome. We were there. It was awesome. All right, yeah. carry on. Like, sorry. Um, you know, but I, I don't know what the what the answer is. There's obviously um, an argument to be made for for both styles. Um, you know, Prentice is bringing a lot of shooters into the sport, um, yep. and you know, and they've got 
they do a lot of you know four guys that are coming in them I and they got motor rifles for people that that don't have the equipment um you know i i just i don't know the exact answer on on how to go forward i just the way that i approach mine is just trying to make it as as even as possible um and i i really just don't know what uh i agree with you i'm just uh willing to flesh it out i'm not trying to get you know into the gossip and and i don't know frustration of some some people get in in this uh on this topic but i think that it it does warrant like a further discussion to try to figure it out because there's always people that want to go and get points there's always people that want to go and have a challenge there's always people that want to go and know that when they won the match like they were the best shooter that day and that's kind of where i'm at is like i want to know when i go to the match that i wasn't there wasn't something weird that you weren't lucky yeah and i don't want to be lucky and i don't want somebody else to be lucky and honestly i'm having so much fun i mean i don't know about you guys but i i feel blessed to be able to do this and and make a living out of it and everything else so don't take this the wrong way um i just think for i really legitimately think for the legitimacy and long-term legitimacy and growth of the sport that some type of standardization or at least an open discussion on target size versus environmental conditions should probably begin like we should start talking about it yeah and at least i think it really comes down more to like education and awareness you know i've run 22 matches and that is the largest component of what i have to do to overcome i guess keeping the bottom level of shooter at a passable grade where they're not going to feel so discouraged that they leave the sport right away and i also have to make sure that the top guys aren't going yeah 99 won it and there were 52 people at 98 so there's a there's a balance and everybody's kind of recognizes there's a low and a high end and it's somewhere in the middle it's just i think it's we're getting close to the point where refinement and understanding of what influences those things to make a match fun make it competitive but not alienate the top and bottom of the fields respectively i think we're getting close to where we can achieve that pretty consistently and just bring the extremes slightly closer to the center over the next five years and we find a sport that man when when you go anywhere in the world it it feels like f class and i don't want to say f class i mean it's not f class but there's standardization around a lot of the big sports in shooting that have helped their growth and and that's not just shooting it's golf baseball hockey basketball football hell what's that uh bags cornhole cornhole yeah cornhole play doesn't like cornhole well Clay, didn't you get beat with a cornhole pretty <laughs> recently at MKM or at uh, Collis? Webster? No. Who um, was it? Uh, all in? No, I was on the team with Webster. Okay. I was on the team with Webster. Me and him won it. it. Okay, nice. All right. Well, I kudos. remember Alwan trying that, to pull that, that you down. That was at the AG Cup. I didn't oh, know that's that. right. So you was, do like playing cornhole? I, I enjoy cornhole. Yeah. Um, you enjoy any competition. Enjoy that's what I get. <laughs> that's what I get from I, you. I enjoy it when, when Tate and Quinn are around. Okay, because they usually slay they are where is quinn i miss him yeah can you tell, um yeah fill us in go ahead where, he you yeah. know he, he he got into this to get better at at hunting he's and he a did. big hunter whether it be <laughs> you know kaya yeah he did hell yeah um, he got a bullet his know, first season i think i mean the guy you know was very naturally talented he hunted a lot um he came to a g-tech class and he worked at it and you know he picked up that bullet right away and uh you know, this all obviously looked very expensive sport, and 
hunting is his passion and he wanted to get back to hunting. Um, so I think he's, you know, using his uh, shooting budget to, to go on some more hunts. So power to him. Yeah. Yeah, so you touched on uh, a phrase or an acronym that we haven't talked about yet, which is JTAC. JTAC. Yep. I'll, that would be a really good segue because I guys, really want You guys have a podcast, don't you? Um, you wouldn't know it, but yeah, we do. I feel like me <laughs> making the soundtrack for that podcast was the death of the podcast. What the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. There was like one episode no, after just... that. <laughs> it wasn't you. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. you. It was me. It sounds like a normal I love breakup. That intro too. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on it, but it's a little long. But I, I don't know. I didn't mean for it to be like that. I didn't mean to destroy your guys's motivation to record. Yeah, I have good oh, signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that that's way better. better. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, hmm. Yeah, so you started cutting out the death of, of the podcast was not. You said it was yeah. not officially me recording <laughs> it, the intro. It, it, it was. It was okay. not the intro. Good. We used to, uh, you know, do all the classes at my at, at my parents' place, and so all the guys would stay with my parents, even Austin, who just lived 15 minutes away. And, <laughs> That's kind of uh, awesome. We would do our, uh, yeah, it was like my favorite part of the whole thing. And we would do our JTAC after hours, which sometimes is going and having a home run derby in town. Um, sometimes it'd be out, you know, coyote hunting or you know just just stuff. We called it JTAC after hours. Then when we get done we would uh we would do a podcast and then we would do it all again the next night so we would knock out a couple podcasts at a time and uh for whatever reason when we started alternating and having them at uh at justin's range we didn't all stay there um and so we'd end up you know driving in the mornings whatever the case may be and you know and then or then like i would forget the podcast equipment and just it you know, one thing after another, um, you know, it would either get forgotten or we'd be too tired or just, just something. And then we just weren't getting together as often. Um, we still talk about doing it and we should probably start doing some, some phone call podcasts at least, but, um, I had a lot of fun doing the podcast. It, it is just, a lot of we fun. We're, we're still having fun with it. I mean, we're almost two years in at this point and we haven't missed a week yet. So we're well, one of the only ones, <laughs> but, but I don't know. I think you, we, we get some enjoyment out of it and honestly we started it because we were talking all the time on the road and we figure stuff out just talking and that's the fun part for us like i think that's why ours has been a little bit different slash has been continuing to go on is like we're talking about topics that we already kind of know about or we think we know about and then we talk ourselves into a a new point or something we want to go home and you know mess with which is kind of cool because that's what keeps me coming back to the sport is as soon as you think you know it all, you're going to lose. Like you're going to stop winning. <laughs> and you know me; I don't like talking, There's so no doubt this about is that. difficult for me. Yeah, talking talking <laughs> is not Francis's <laughs> strong strong point. <laughs> so, so you know, JTAC. What about yep. it? Um, obviously, that started, and I know just because I, I, in case anybody's listening that doesn't know, is it now JTACA, <laughs> or is that just a one-time um, thing? It, it, it's it's J. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so your training company with you know four slash five of you. Um, to those who don't know, I mean, you guys were one of the first large training or not first large, but um, you are one of the winningest groups yeah, of people in it. the country. I mean, Jacob Bynum Rifles Only was one of the first. Gardner, um, Frank Galley, all those guys, Caleb Ojek. I mean, there's a lot of people Shannon's who train. Been doing it for a long Shannon time. has been doing it for a long time. But you guys from Oklahoma, you know, in this crowd, you have a reputation, and not just a reputation, a proven record of success 
in taking new shooters to another level, taking uh, an individual to a goal, and also personally succeeding wherever you go across the country. Was that a difficult step to go, hey, we want, you know, we won a couple championships, but now let's all four of us keep this going? Or was it kind of a, hey, we should do this, and it just happened overnight? It's honestly one of those things that kind of happened overnight. I had done uh, one class with Justin, and I don't remember how many people were there, and um, Rick Reeves was the real reason to do it. <laughs> Three. It, it, it probably was. It was probably like you know, just a couple. I don't. I honestly don't remember. They got their money's Rick worth. Reeves. I guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope they did. You know, I always was self conscious about that um, for for the longest time, and Rick Reeves suggested. You know, he said in a, in a group chat or need to get into a, a classroom setting, tell me how much it's going to be and I'll bring people. And so really it's Rick Reeves is the reason that JTech ever happened. And, you know, we all four showed up to um, the first one. And if you guys have seen uh, Foul Boar, it, that's where we did the class set, our first one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got in there just a little bit early and we're sitting there like trying to decide like who's going to talk about what, how are we going to start this? What are we even going to teach these people? Because, in my head at that time i was like i don't know that i have enough to tell you know somebody in a, you know for an hour let alone two full days i don't know how i'm supposed to to do this and um justin started us off and he's you know he, he starts us off almost every every class that we uh that we run and he likes talking about then himself. we all just kind of <laughs> <laughs> sorry he, he's I just good at it though. Over here. He, you know he's he's good at it he's, he's funny and he you know makes he makes it very entertaining. He does. And, you know, we all started, you know, just kind of like jumping in and adding this and that. And you guys have probably seen the same thing. Somebody will bring up a topic and something you haven't thought about in, you know, weeks, months, maybe even a year will pop into your head and you'll interject that, that little deal. And that's kind of like how our classes started is, you know, when something popped up based on what somebody asked or whatever the case may be, we just, you know, kind of, you know, we're freewheeling with it. And then uh, from there we, you know, structured a, you know what we were going to do and who was going to talk about what and um just kind of took it and ran with it from there and we got an incredible response again just where we live i mean we're lucky to have really good shooters that live close to each other that that were willing to make this work and um you know as i say it takes you know just tried calling me but um yeah, the has been one of the <laughs> Uh, that, that's one of the guys you know, that you want to answer every time. He for does, sure. So much for Tell him to call us right after he's done. Text him say, hey, I'm talking yeah. to Chad and Francis. Like, call him. Call them. <laughs> we want to learn all about actions. Um, Actually, we don't. We want to learn all about how Tate manages to golf, build so, actions, run a family, build a house, go coyote hunting, sleep for 24.62 minutes, wake up and do it again. Every day, every single day, all day, all the time. Yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think he's human no. um, based on how much he sleeps. I mean, he works harder than possibly anybody that I've ever met. And for the first time I really knew that he didn't need sleep. So we used to call each other all the time at, you know, anywhere from like midnight to two or three in the morning. Cause we'd both be working and yep. um, there was nobody else to, you know, to talk to that we, you know, could think of probably. And I met him, uh, this was 2019 I was really, you know, chasing the PRS, and he was chasing the NRL. And I met him on a Thursday at uh, at noon, two o'clock, somewhere like that. And he had worked all night long, all through the morning, and then met me. And we were going to drive to California. And so we get in the vehicle, and we're driving to California. 
and it's two or three in the morning. The guy hasn't so much as taken a nap and I'm falling asleep at the wheel. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry. Like we got to stop or you got to drive. Like I cannot do this anymore. And he's like, okay, I'll drive. And in my head, I'm like, he's going to pass out in 30 seconds. And so I get in the back of the truck and, uh, I wake up for a split second because a, a V8 truck had spewed all over the road. It looked like a bloodbath. Um, <laughs> And, V8, uh, literally, the, not a V8 yeah, engine, was, like some yeah, some eight. tanker to carrying V8 yeah. uh, tomato juice. Yeah, V8 juice was <laughs> everywhere. And uh, the, the next time I stirred, we were in California, and I'm like, how in the world? So we pull in on Friday to check in. We we shoot, and as soon as the match gets over Sunday, we drive back. But his sleep on Friday and Saturday night, my guess is that was probably the most sleep that he'd had in weeks and then you know two days after we get back we fly back to california for another match um and but i mean he, the guy just can function on on very little sleep and he can do it well i don't i don't know how he does it i don't either i know i've seen him in action and had texts and calls from him at odd hours that like this is kind of crazy and then i see him and I'm like, he's like yeah man you know i just got back from this trip I, and i got to fly out to go bob like chase a cougar um i was i had like a half hour notice so i grabbed my rifle and gear and i flew up there and then we hunted for like six straight days and i flew back and here i am but i gotta get caught up so what's up <laughs> I mean, he just rattles it off like it's nothing so yeah just another day yeah just another day um so you, you touched on something with jtac that i think is really interesting a common group of friends all having some shared goals and success ultimately pushed each other even further to find a a similar system that let them all be even more successful you know chad and i talk randomly back and forth about different things hey this is bugging me i can't figure this out or that out i'm guessing you guys have a similar dynamic i mean the jtac and i'm going to call it a method for lack of a better way of saying it i mean every you know i don't like that word per se but there are certain components to a shooting style or certain aspects of shooting in a class or from a given instructor that have a method-like quality is that something that JTAC developed as a as a core, or did you guys all kind of slowly evolve towards that as you decided, hey, this is winning, this is working, this is winning, this is working? How, explain that a little, because I'm really curious about that as the evolution of the Okies versus, say, the evolution of us up in Michigan not having been not having shot together from the beginning. Because uh, it's different. It is different. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was. It was kind of interesting because in that you know that first class where we would just like interject this and that like we never talked about like our strategies or like how we would approach stages we would just you know shoot together as buddies and then you know you do what everybody does like oh you know what do you use on that stage i started with you know one two and i ended it you know two seven you know something like that yep and then like okay yeah that you know i i can see how that would work and then you shoot the stage but we never like talked about how we were you know not really talked about like how we're getting our wind call why we're approaching something a certain way and during that first class you know i think we all kind of had those huh that sounds familiar kind of thoughts and um once the class was over we you know realized like that we were all like had all figured out in the you know the same way to shoot stages you know the way that we like went about getting our our data our wind calls this and that it was like we had all come to the same conclusion without ever discussing it amongst each other and then you know so there wasn't anything for us to to ever like discuss oh as far as oh this is a better method than that like we had already like tried all these other things and come to this conclusion you know all on our own and so then you know it made us all very much on the same page when it came to you know teaching our classes so there wasn't like the oh this doesn't work or that doesn't work you know kind of stuff it was just like 
it was just almost set before we ever started. And I think that's so the stuff we were, that really interests us too, because that's the science of it. It's it's math. Like you can kind of yeah. find a way to manipulate it to uh, bend in your favor, but really you have a budget, which is the width of the target, and you have a wind, which is a best guess, and you try to you know make sure your bullet hits the target and then correct. Uh, some of the other nuances, I don't know if Francis was alluding to it, but I'm going to, are, are the techniques. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to come right out. The techniques of, of how to build a position and what bags to use and what stock to use and what, you know, everything about the Oki rifle and the Oki way is kind of like a thing. And it is, it's not completely different than everywhere in the United States, but it's its own thing, you know. So how did you guys come upon that? Um, well, I, I, I feel like a broken record, but very fortunate to, you know, have started where I started. You know, foundation stocks are made, you know, an hour and a half from me. Yep. Um, Wade Studeville is 45 minutes from me. Uh, Tate is an hour and a half from me. Um, and all those companies, you know, make, you know, the parts of, you know, what we call the Oki build, you know, the impact foundation. And uh, as far as the scope that we all went with was a uh, hand Tatum. In 2019, I got my first one to shoot the uh, the Lone Star match in Texas, and just was using a night force. I I had been using a uh, Schmidt and Bender uh, for a while, and uh, decided to give it a try. Derek Love sold it to me. It was I think the the first one that ever you know with a Gen 3 XR that got into the country, and um, so I showed up for that match and uh, shot really well there. And there was a stage off of tires in like a rock quarry kind of a thing. And the targets were, you know, like targets get, they were grayed out, getting beat up all day long. And the background was gray. And I go through it and I think I cleaned it. And it was, I think it was a big small, if I remember right. And it was just, you know, it felt, no, I'm not going to say the stage was easy, but like finding the targets and, you know, figuring out what I want to do, you know, felt, you know, fairly straightforward. And then Justin gets up there and he gets a, you know, a five or a six or whatever he got and he comes off the stage he's like man how did you see How'd those you see parts <laughs> like i had to like he's like i had to find the t-post and then like aim up where i thought it was I was like i don't know i just looked at him and he grabbed my gun and he put it on the tire to look at it he's like oh my gosh that's why you could do that and um the contrast it was just it was so so different um and so then you know in our head we're just trying to get every advantage that we can so um you know we went with what we believe to be the best glass out there because you know maybe you catch just a you know a hint more trace or you know whatever it happens to be and maybe that only maybe it leads to a single point but you know if you miss and saw nothing now you're guessing and whereas if you don't have to guess maybe it's not just one point you get from it maybe it's a few points that you get from it and you know sometimes you know i'd say most times a point is all that separates the winner in second place unless you're you know, Kyle McCormick, who stomped <laughs> us into the ground. Nobody will ever weekend. forget his name ever again. Yeah. I'm so proud of Man, that guy. He, I don't want to say proud because that means absolutely like... absolutely abused yeah, us. Yeah. I, I don't like saying the word proud because it's like, okay, like who am I to say? But I, I was super happy for the guy because he has been working his tail off and he's always been a threat. And it just, it worked out for him in the, in the biggest way. I'm, I'm yeah, super he happy. He didn't just like win. Yeah. Like, you know, there's winning. There's, and then like there's seven or eight points. And there's, there's hey, seven boys, points. hey, boys, I won. And then there's like, hey, boys, no, no, no. You can just you can <laughs> hey, go sit down now. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys want to go shoot another stage or two, I'll be sitting here, you know, <laughs> drinking my lemonade, waiting for you to catch up to me. You yep. know? Yeah. Like he absolutely was earlier something about you didn't want like luck to come into play. 
this is the mindset that he has. You know, oh, he, yeah. he practices a lot. Like he, oh, he puts sure. in the work. Um, I talked to him on this, this past Monday, I was going to go out to the range to do load development for a customer. And he called me and we're talking and um, he's like, yeah, I just left the range. And in my head, I'm like, what are you doing at the range? Like you ju- like you just 12 won. hours ago, you're on the podium. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I was just out practicing. I was like, practicing what? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I just wanted to you know, prove to myself that I didn't get lucky. I'm like, buddy, you didn't get lucky for 200 shots in a row. Like, that's not like, how. That's the mindset that he has is like he wanted to know that like he, you know, really did it, that he can do it again. And um Oh, he I'm, do I'm honestly again. surprised about this first one. I'm so, so surprised. Me too. I agree. One. That's what I was. I, I thought the same thing, and that was when as soon as uh, Chad sent me a message, dude, McCormick just curb stomped. I was in Costa Rica yeah. with my family, and I had to look up the match, and I looked, and I saw Kyle at the top, and I had to text him. I'm like, dude, I I shouldn't be texting you right now. My wife is in the other room. We're on on our vacation. The beach is like right in front of me, but I gotta say, that was kick ass. <laughs> nice yeah. work, brother. All I did yeah, was that was awesome. Say, yep, Kyle quote you will never forget my last name again quote mccormick congratulations <laughs> yeah. that was i mean th- that was seriously there are some things and you know a lot of people listening you know we talk about massive wins and we th- we say two three five six eight points ten points and that is a that it, it's pretty rare it is hard to emphasize how difficult that is when the the next step up is just not missing anything like ever at all i mean it's it's so difficult, and I think you know you can appreciate it because you've seen and been stood you know shoulder to shoulder with you know Chad and I. We're at matches watching Ben Gossett just annihilate at the AG Cup, um, watching you smash at MKM. Um, I had a year at the AG Cup. Chad's had an AG Cup. I mean, we it it is hard to put into words how good the guys at the top are because you there is not just no room for error. It's almost as if the error doesn't exist for anyone except the people who are not first. Like, the error is all there, and you, everyone else is just kind of... The guy who's going to win it is just going, I don't see the problem here. Like, yeah, you did on MKM. like one of the easiest matches ever. Yeah, you at MKM. This was... And I, I'm going to... I want to paint some pictures, because well, this is... Let's touch on that, because that was a different clay. I agree. Um, <laughs> and you, I have only shot with you a couple times, maybe only one other time, but you seemed so calm, so uh, chill. I actually looked over your shoulder twice, and you were looking up, like, baseball you know, game scores or something. I, I don't even know. Uh, one of the last three stages and I look down and I'm like dude like he's only dropped two shots all day and he's looking down and seeing who's in the lead I, I don't know what games we're playing but I just could tell that you were in this you were in this like level of comfort that uh, I could only dream about <laughs> well I mean I think <clears throat> I think I just tried to take a, a different approach to that not to get into a, a lot of detail on it but I got a very uh, eye-opening wake-up call from a, a good buddy that week <clears throat> and um, again, not to like tell some big long story, but like what what I thought, you know, like I was, you know, portraying was not what I was portraying, and I was clear that I had been taking this too seriously, and you know, letting it be more important than it was, instead of just enjoying it for the hobby that it that it is, and you know, being you know willing to, you know, just just go out and have fun. Um, and so my only goal of going out there was just to have fun and you know that that match went my way um it you know let's be honest the targets were small but the wind wind held for me um you know the wind wind just easily could have you know i'm gonna go ahead just before you go the wind held for me guys listening and girls listening that is not he's definitely being a little bit um 
humble. He shot his ass off, and it was so effortless that it was kind of hard to put into context when you shoot, you know, four to seven mile per hour that are changing thirty degrees on the clock. Well, you couldn't even feel it or see you, you it. You couldn't either. see it. You couldn't feel it. You couldn't do a lot of things. And I know, I understand what you're saying, but I think you're maybe being too humble in that you were absolutely just nice and flawless. You dropped. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you drop two on any stage on Sunday? I think you only had one all um, weekend. Uh, yeah, actually, my uh, that triple TYL with the thousand fourteen, I think, diamond. Yeah, um, I dropped. I dropped four on that one. That was and that was the that was the most of all the stages, and I think from that it was just ones, correct? Yep, it was it was ones other <laughs> other than that one. Yeah. Well, I like I like how you said that you talked to somebody and they kind of told you or you came to the realization. Yeah. Um, but that like that's a struggle that I internally. Uh, go through on a, a weekly basis because I care so much about the sport. I care so much about like doing my best and, and for performing to my potential. And then the more you think about that, the harder it becomes. It, it yeah. seems like um, it seems like something that can like just take over and cloud cloud your mindset, cloud your vision, cloud your ability to perform to your potential. Like if I could just have a mindless state where my potential is is released and I can perform to my potential, then I will be competitive on any given Sunday. But the struggle is uh, realizing that, you know, this is a game, although, you know, we've wrapped our lives up into competing in this game and wanting to do the best at it and have businesses and, and side businesses and, and relationships with sponsors and all, all the above. Um, it, it does like tug at you at all, all times. So it's hard to differentiate whether you're, uh, competing, uh, I don't know, to, to your abilities when you, you have all this other stuff on your mind at all times. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's easy to get get too wrapped up in it, and I was absolutely guilty of that. And um, it was coming off in a in a very negative way, and I think I was too close to the situation to realize it. And that's you know, I can't thankful to have you know good friends around me that that told me straight. that because yeah. um, it was you know it was a it was a tough conversation, but I, I needed to hear it. And cool. um, again, my only only goal at that match was just to have fun. And I mean, I could have lost by 20 and I, I, I genuinely just had fun shooting. And this past weekend, same thing. Like I just wanted to have fun and I had a blast and I got absolutely drummed. And, you know, even just a, a couple months ago, it's pretty I, I rough mean, when you still end up on the podium uh, in fifth place and you only get 90 points or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he, he really did put a whooping on us, but, um, it's, it's, but been it's a long exciting. Time like I, I love I seeing could, that. I love having somebody like Kyle get their first win like that and have it be epic. It just, it's, it's weird, but it's like exciting. And I love being, I love that somebody else got to experience that because we've all, all three of us have experienced that. And the cool thing is that not a lot of people get to. So when one of your friends does, it's like, it's way cool. You know, the look on the face of somebody that just won their first one is something that you just yeah. don't don't get to see very often yep. um his family was there and, i saw pictures of his you know family. yeah his whole yeah his whole family yeah. got to see it you know and you could just tell like not relief but just you know like pure joy and i don't know it just it's very cool to see 
Yeah. He described the last stage, well, your second to last, his last. And the first, after he's like, he calls me and just, okay, man, I got to walk you through this. <laughs> I walk up to my last stage and I and Clay is walking off the stage I'm shooting and he just looks at me and says, you don't want to know or something like that. <laughs> it was something like that. And he's like, oh, crap. Really? And that was just like the, the look, like the sound in his voice emulated what was on your face. And he was like, really? Okay. So I have to like at least hit six or seven. And he just goes, I watched, I guess he was shooting first, which is not where you want to be. Uh, especially when you're, you know, you think you're tight for a win, but he probably didn't realize how bad it actually was for most of the guys up to that point. And so he shoots it and gets what? Well, I think it was like an eight or a nine. I mean, it was incredible. And he's like, I really only needed a one because, um, like the other guys dropped four and five or something close to that. So it, it would have washed it, but you don't know that. So the pressure, no, you, that, you don't, <laughs> Oh yeah. You know, to, to put that, how he performed on stage into, into a little bit of perspective, it was bowling pins that, you know, panned left and right. And then there was a little, a, a bear and a coyote and they're like, you know, real bowling pins that I think like the third one is a six fifty or something like that. I don't remember what it was. And I start out and I hit my first two shots and then I missed my next seven shots um, and then hit my last one. And, you know, when he's asking me, you know, because we were in different squads, um, and he's like, so how'd it go? I was like, well, this is what I did. And I can tell you that none of those hits are <laughs> no use what I just did. <laughs> We've all been there. I can tell oh, you what sure. doesn't hit. Oh, man. I mean, but that, that was like his, it was the way he told that story about you coming off. He's like, that dude just smashed MKN. Yeah, he was hammering pretty much all weekend, and then he just comes off and says, "Nah, I, I don't know. I'm going to go over here I, and do don't something do what else." I did. <laughs> don't listen to me. Oh boy. Well, I mean, yeah. last I guess I have a couple of questions for you. I know we're getting close to. I an have hour-ish, a question too, but I want to start with uh, you. Take if you have a new shooter, what is the biggest piece of advice you could give to somebody who's brand new? Um, if you could go back and do it again, what would you give yourself as advice for just starting out in this sport? Um, if I've got to give just one piece... For now, yeah, I have, just, there's three parts to this, so they're all pretty simple. You know, just show up to the match. It's so easy to get tied up and, oh, I don't have this ready yet or I don't have that ready yet. And with, with that mentality, you're going to always have a reason not to go. And like you said at the start, like we all started... At, at the bottom like nobody shows up and you know it's just good out of the gate except Tom um, McCormick I mean I <laughs> you know I, I got I got dead last right out of the gate I'm sure yeah. you know a lot of guys get dead last the first time that they show up to a match whether it's a, a one day or a two day um, so worried about performance instead of just going out and, and seeing what it's about is you know is detrimental to you I mean just get out there and just see what it's about Okay, so the second part of this is that was your first advice to a novice shooter. Dealing with failure is arguably one of the hardest tricks to learn, and most I feel that most shooters experience, quote, failure in the middle of their career or sort of past novice where you think, oh, yeah, you give yourself the blow-off of, I'm learning. And then before you're advanced where you go, yeah, we know we're going to fail. We're not always going to succeed. Somewhere in that middle point. How do you keep going? Everything is a failure. What do you do to push forward beyond that? And I know, you know, I know with trying to take it easier, sort of have fun with it now, um, it's a little different. But if for somebody who's in that kind of, I oh, mean, I'm in a rut and I don't know what to do, and they're about that jump off the diving board, I just want to go swim and get out of here. This is, I'm done with this. Where would you put that person? What would you tell them? 
Um, I would try and tell them to get out of their comfort zone because there are, you know, certain places where, you know, people do really well, you know, every single time. And, um, you know, I used to shoot matches at Foulbore, you know, once, twice a month, whatever it was. And I got to kind of know the place like the back of my hand to where, you know, I almost don't even need to, you know, pull my Kestrel out because I just know what the wind was going to be at these targets. And it's, yep. You know, I, again, I was shooting there a couple times a month, you know, not including when I was really practicing. And you, you stop learning when you do the same thing over and over. So I always tell people to shoot at as many new places as you can so that you force yourself to, to learn. Um, there's only so much you can learn at the, at the same place. You could be at the best, most diverse range in the world, but there's only going to be so much you can learn in, you know, in one spot. So I, I encourage people to, even if they're just one day, travel around, try and find something new um, to get you over that, that hump that you're sitting on or that plateau that you're on. I think you see that a lot. There's people that shoot at their home range and do really, really well in regional-type series. And then, you know, you see them at a pro match and you expect them to be at least top 10 or something. And, you know, they, they struggle. And I've always said, like, I want to shoot the hardest matches. I want to shoot the most un- uncomfortable situations so that I hit the, the failure points quicker and learn faster and come home and find a way to get better so i 100 percent agree with your uh mindset philosophy there that's a that's a good approach i agree uh we've talked about getting out and make it getting around the country to see more because you'll learn more just seeing what other people do you get to, I, I came to you guys as one of my first western matches was in oklahoma it was at uh justin's place for the team match um but the last part of this question and then i didn't know chad has one as well Imagine tomorrow is the last match you're going to shoot and you didn't know it, or this last weekend was the last match. What legacy do you want for you in this sport? Like, where do you want to see the sport grow if, if you hope you contribute it or what you, where you want to see it? What do you want to see out of this sport long-term or you or the business or the industry? I don't know. Take it where you will, but I'm just curious because I know you've been in this game as long as some of the longest and most successful shooters in the, comp- in, in the entire sport. So love to hear your take on it. Um, that, that's a really hard one to answer. Um, hmm, I'm going to have to, to chew on that a little bit. Um, you know, if, if that was, if that was my last match, um, the best thing that, you know, that I could say is, you know, I, I think I only know, knew one person in, in my squad. Um, and I spent a lot of time, um, you know, teaching people stuff that you know on techniques that they didn't know or ways to gather data um things like that because it, it can be very frustrating to be to be out at a match uh especially a field stop match where if you miss you don't see a whole lot and um i remember being in that position so you know um if nothing if that was that was my last match you know there'll be people that you know got to see that the, the your performance at the match is not the most important thing it's you know it's it's making sure that you know you're helping grow the sport and i think that was one of the things that i kind of lost sight of that i'm trying to get back to so um not sure how that was as an answer but um, it It was really good because me off guard i know well the the reason for that question is you know we all jtac you justin clay austin sorry you are uh, austin tate um the other austin Morgan, all, John Pinch, Vibbert. I mean, all the guys that are across the board that we see at the leaderboard, we all are trying to help grow the sport. We're all trying to find a way to add something 
to this. And I think when, when we ask that, or we've talked to a lot of people across now, almost, what, 90, 80, 90 episodes, whatever it is, almost a year and a half, yeah, two like years. Yeah, 70 different countries. Yeah, the, the, the number weird. one response that I keep hearing, or at least the thing that keeps coming back against all genres of shooting that we've had on and or people has been, it's, it always is about people. And what's unique about PRS is that the individual relationships we build I feel are very unique compared to a lot of the the relationships that I see in other, not just other shooting sports, but other sports in general. And there's some camaraderie for sure. But man, there is this willingness to, to do and to help and to grow and to teach and to laugh and to be outdoors that I don't, it's irre, to me, it's irreplaceable. And well, it's hard I feel to describe like we're, to non-shooters. We're surrounded by people that are driven and like doing things that are difficult and those type of people um, are fun to hang out with and they challenge us to be better every day and that's what I love about this sport is that it's not easy I mean just point blank every every facet of everything from putting together a rifle to making ammunition to sending the perfect round and that doesn't even include environmentals like wind and other, other factors um, it is something that challenges us but also it's like a fellowship like everybody wants to help everybody and, and uh challenge each other to be better and then we we celebrate each other's successes which is weird um and we share information we share techniques i mean we don't make a dime from this podcast but um actually we had two people give us made a dime we have two people give us one dollar <laughs> contributions yep. and one of them did not do it friends and family so it took like the the fee out of it so it's less than two dollars yeah, he texted us hey check your feed yeah i didn't do it friends and family he intentionally yeah, it was funny I don't uh, think it was intentional. Um, I just think, yeah. So yeah, less than two dollars we had made from this mm-hmm. podcast, and we don't care. Um, yeah. So we we see this as our mark on you know helping people and and uh, our a part of our legacy. Um, but I'm not done shooting yet. I don't think you are, Clay. I don't. I know you're not done, Francis. Not. No. Um, so that's the fun part about it is uh, we are all still driven to uh, even you know Clay has won the Golden Bullet. So what? how do you keep driving after you've won the bullet it's because you love the people and you love the sport and you love the challenge of it it's not easy you didn't win the golden bullet every year it's not easy um so my question to you clay are you ready i I, I hope so okay what is up with the trigger press (laughs) you're the only one in oklahoma that does it like that and it works so i gotta know because it just i just gotta know how you came upon uh how you run the trigger and then uh, how you justify it and what it, uh, what you feel it does for you. Like I'm not criticizing it. I'm just curious because it's different than anybody else. Um, different from I mean, let's, let's do you even let's call fill it, it for what it is? Do you even call it a press? <laughs> but, yeah, I was gonna say let's let's call it what it is. It's a slap. It's not a press. It's a slap. It's, but it freaking uh, works, dude. You hit the smallest targets. You crushed us. Like I am not being critical at this moment. Uh, I want to know how you came upon it, and I want to know why. Um, you know. It's it's obviously wrong. Let's let's also really? throw that out there. I don't think that it's is, wrong. It's it's not how I you know try and teach people to do it. Um, but when I first started, that wasn't something that I did. Um, I you know had a nice easy squeeze, and somewhere along the road, um, whether I you know got some target panic or you know whatever the case may be, um, I didn't fix it, and I. I just, you know, I've tried to fix it, you know, on multiple occasions. Um, and this is going to sound really silly, but I see less as far as like where 
of hits on the plate when I'm doing that because I'm focusing on squeezing the trigger yeah. instead of focusing on what's going down range. And when I just stop thinking about it and just shoot, um, my trigger pull goes back to, you know, this disgusting slap. Um, but I see what happens down range more. That's what I'm focused on. And so um, do you have like, something really, that happens in your mind while you're doing it or does it just happen uh, on autopilot? It, it, it just happens on autopilot. Okay. For, you know, I get centered, I'm solid on a target and in my head, you know, well, it may as well just hit it, you know, and so then my finger, I guess, decides <laughs> it wants to go at warp speed. It's already a foregone conclusion. And, it's going to happen. You know, um, and I, you know, whenever I was really getting worked about this, my trigger pull and trying to fix it, I went and uh, used a shot marker um, and then painted steel, the, the shot marker in front just to, like, you know, see, make sure that, like, I was verifying. And I tried, um, you know, pulling it the trigger slow i tried slapping it and essentially the conclusion that i came to it doesn't matter whether i'm shooting a six pound you know 28 nozzle or customer or whether i'm shooting you know my 20 pound you know bra it doesn't really matter how you pull the trigger as long as you don't influence the rifle to make it go bang if you use a sledgehammer to set it off as long as it's pointed where it's pointed when it goes banging and you don't move it with how you set it off it goes to the same spot my well. change and so then I, you know, just kind of stopped worrying about it. And I think that's the that's the mic drop. Like the caveat about Do about it, it is that NPA is king. Like if you've built the best position um, and your rifle is pointed at the target in its natural state, that will hide a lot of sins. And the sin that you're willing to accept is that you slap the trigger. But I will say that I've watched you press the trigger, slap the trigger, pull the trigger a lot of times, and you always follow through. So, if if nothing else, I, I like, do follow through. Yeah. I do follow through. Um, yeah. Austin and I's joke is that uh, if you combine his pull and my pull, we would have either the worst or the best one because <laughs> I follow through really well. And he, he doesn't pop. follow through at I all. Agree. He gives it a nice squeeze. I give it a big slap. So depending on which side of that you take, we could have either a really good trigger pull or, <laughs> or a really really bad one. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. hopefully we don't segregate those two. You guys just keep doing what you're doing, and um, you know between what you guys have won over the years uh there's not a lot that can compete with that so just embrace it man it's been um really cool talking with you and i know we will probably do this again uh i actually specifically want to get with uh austin or gain um for reasons which you probably know um but i'd, I'd like oh, to talk with the him. best person ever pick up a rifle <laughs> yeah uh i, I but there's some reasons yeah and i that's one Plus of them he's a, private he's a pilot. super good dude chad can talk yeah. to, you know piloting are you a pilot too are you i'm a i'm a pilot also nice yep. what about the rest of the jetack nope just those two. Um, just those hey, two just you two tate hadn't uh hadn't started it yet but he is gonna get his as well okay that's so fun all right, so we know I that's not. I flew to practice the, this morning. It was expensive. So the Golden Bolt link is not <laughs> being a pilot. That's one. It's fifty percent of it, but it's it's not all of it. Okay, good. Um, well, no. I, I think being a left-handed Austin is pretty key to winning Golden Bolt. That is, yeah, a that's clutch. Austin. That's clutch. We should start over. And, and you do know this that again. they have the same birthday. No, no they I did don't. not do that. I did not know that. They do. They have the same birthday. It's unreal. Oh my gosh! All right, so that was the day when Superman was born. Did you have you checked Morgan King? When's his birthday? Probably the same freaking day. It's, it's the same damn same. day. God bless it. His downfall is that he that his name is Morgan. He just needs to go get a quick little name change. Morgan. Morgan. 
Well, uh, do you have anything for us? I, I do know there's one thing I want for you to us? do before we go, but I mean, do you have any? I say questions for us, but I just mean like no. things you want to talk he about. He doesn't need anything from us. He is self sufficient. <laughs> um, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Um, you know, I don't know where you guys are traveling to, what match or war. you know what happened. We're going to war. War? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. going to war. Um, war. What is it good for? I war was rifles. thinking that uh, that the uh, alpha match was this weekend. I was thinking you might be heading that way, but you know, opposite side of the country. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I appreciate you guys having having me on. Hopefully, the drive went. Uh, Went a little bit quicker. Didn't have to stare at the line so much. That is the um, nice part about the podcast is like we talk for six hours and it feels like we just started driving. So we do appreciate you for helping us get through an hour and twenty minutes of that. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. You should try it sometime. You want to do it again in a week or two? Yeah, you guys can start your podcast back. Yeah, up. there you go. You guys just all call in to one hub. You have the record button. Don't forget that Chad does all the time. No, um, three times. But that said, uh, man, it's seriously. So anybody else listening, uh, website for ammo, Clay's Cartridge Company. What is it? Yeah, it's claycartridgecompany.com. Um, pretty okay. pretty straightforward. It's kind of a mouthful, but um, that'll get you there. Yep. And JTAC, if they want to reach out and learn more about it, where do they go? What do they do? Um, that is on the ACE website, acepreciseonllc.com. We have a, a class posted right now, um, which is... I think three week, um, three three weeks uh, for uh, for that class. Um, that's actually going to be a really really cool one for me. Um, Cal Zant is coming to that class. Really? Um, and uh, that's cool. You know, I'm sure you guys have looked at the Precision Rifle blog as much as I have. I got so oh. much of you know my starting voices from there and stuff that I still stick with to this day. So that's a that's a really really cool one mm-hmm. uh, for me. Um, so he's taking uh, the class, or he's coming there to like document the class. Uh, taking the class. Oh hell yep. yeah, that is cool. <laughs> That's way cool. Now we just got to get him to shoot the gap grind or another match. Uh, he, I actually got to shoot with him this weekend. Was, it was the first was, time I've ever shot with him. Yeah, he was at the impact. I saw him in the. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. I saw him in the scores. Hmm. Well, I like this. Well, man, uh, congratulations again on your win at MKM, and obviously continued success. I wish you. This success one place lower than me at the finale when we finish. That'd be perfect. <laughs> and hopefully that's second. But I still really rooting for you. I just, yeah, I'm not really actually. I'm hoping you do really well. You've had an awesome season. Um, if you anybody's interested, go look Clay up on uh, the PRS site. And it's kind of wild to see so many single digit finishes over the course of the last five years. Yep. So good job, Clay. High five. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> hey, man. We'll see you at the next one. Actually, yep. we probably won't see you till the finale, but we'll see you there. Yep. Oh, I appreciate it. I'll see you guys. All right. Yep. Talk to you soon. See you, bud. See you.